Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I am your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is special. It's number 99. But it's also brought to you by my good friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to deliver a world-class customer service experience, better, more customized buying path, and let's be honest, Maybe the most important thing is you can create a brand new stream of revenue for you and your organization. Visit them at www.bookingprotect.com. Again, that's www.bookingprotect.com. While I'm on it, today is Friday, January 31st, as I'm recording this. But on yesterday, which was Thursday, January 30th, 2020, Booking Protect and I, we released a brand new ebook called What Matters in Tickets Now. It's awesome. About 40 plus thought leaders, executives, uh, ticket sellers, marketers from all over the world talking about what matters in tickets now. Uh, Some great, great essays from guys and girls like Angela Higgins of the Ticketing Professionals Conference of Australia, um, Andrew Thomas from the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Birmingham, Richard Howell, um, me, (laughs) all kinds of folks. Uh, The feedback so far has been tremendous. So you want to go over to the Booking Protect website at www.bookingprotect.com forward slash blog forward slash. There will be a pop-up window at the top of the page. We'll let you sign up and get the newsletter now. Or not the newsletter, I'm sorry, the ebook right away. While I'm at it, I said newsletter, you should be getting my newsletter. It's called Talking Tickets. It is a weekly email that comes out on Friday morning overnight in dc so uh some people that's friday evening in australia because incredibly people sign up from all over the world but you can get talking tickets it's five top stories with quick analysis or action item or um weight takeaways from a story to help you and your business take action generate revenue um take advantage of the what the story means and the opportunities it can create for you and your organization you can get that by visiting my website it's davewakeman.com at the top of the page there'll be a get talking tickets newsletter link click that it'll take you to a sign up form and you can get that and get it delivered every friday it's a great resource people seem to love it um it's really a lot of fun for me to put together So Talking Tickets newsletter. My guest today is my friend David Fowler. David is a great sports marketer. He has originally, I found him because he has a really cool blog that he he doesn't write often, but when he does, it's pretty awesome stuff. Uh, He also is working on a project called My Cujo, uh, which is about bringing a video to smaller sports organizations. We talk about this a lot. Um, I initially reached out to David to talk about a article, though, or a blog post that he wrote about the need for new ideas in sports business. Um, that opened the door for all kinds of great stuff uh, about ideas around leadership, about change, about vision, about marketing, about challenges and opportunities. Um, he talks about soccer a lot um, and or football. Even I call it football at this point. Um, we talk about the customer lifetime value. We talk about um, kind of removing the barriers to innovation. We talk about getting closer to fans. We talk about uh, mindsets. We talk about selling. We talk about um, storytelling, data, emotions, um, 
all kinds of stuff. I mean, this is a really good conversation. Um, we went in all kinds of different directions that I wasn't necessarily sure we were going to go in when we first started talking and chatting about having the podcast. Um, so this is a really good one. Um, this is probably a really good episode to have as number 99, uh, knowing some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about with uh, my special guest on episode 100, which will be coming up in uh, very shortly, uh, and some of the things that I'm going to do with the podcast going forward. So without further from me, here's my conversation with David Fowler on the Business of Fun podcast. I want to welcome David Fowler to the Business of Fun podcast. David, how are you? Hi, Dave. I'm, I'm well, thank you. And you? Oh, man, I'm great. I'm great. It's a nice, beautiful, uh, sunny day outside my window here where I'm recording. It's So it's awesome. I'm sure it's cold, but that's fine. Um, thank you so much for doing this. I have been really, as I was telling you before we started recording, I've been a big fan of your blog for for years now. And you really recently wrote a piece about uh, needing new ideas and new leadership in sports business. And I was like, well, I got to talk to David on the podcast. So thank you so much for doing this. Great, no problem. Yeah, glad so, you enjoyed my blog. <laughs> well, it's a. I'm sure it's a like for me. It's a labor of love, and you don't necessarily always know that people are paying attention to it uh, in the way you hope. So, no, um, no, great compliment to hear. Yeah, that you're, uh, you're following it. I'm I'm always amazed when people read anything I write, and then I find out all of a sudden that they do, and I'm like, oh man, I better pay, <laughs> I better pay a slight more attention to this thing. Uh, <laughs> but let me start out by asking you about this blog post that you you wrote. It's titled uh, "New New Leaders Needed to Drive Hashtag Sports Biz Change." You know what led you to to bring this idea to life and put you know put it on your blog. Yeah, um, I think I think it goes back a little bit to to where we are in, in the in the cycle of the of the business of sport in general. Um, it feels like the the business is going through a, a, a profound change. Um, if you look at the the sort of origins of the modern sports business model, what kind of almost started in the eighties when the the Olympics and the football World Cup created the modern blueprint. Um, that's been copied across the globe. Uh, that, that model saw sports property owners take minimum guarantees for media rights from broadcasters, um, and, and then sit back and relax. Uh, um, they had the, they had the dollars in the bank and they didn't need to do much else. Um, now, now things in, in the modern landscape have really changed and, and fans have access to, to content 24 seven. There's a fragmented, Digital media landscape that we all talk about um, to we're to we're blue in the face and and uh, sponsor brands are really hungry for content and data to facilitate their their part in the fan experience. So I kind of saw this as a um, a, a real profound change and and the change being that the forward thinking sports properties are increasingly going direct to fan. They want to drive a deeper relationship with fans. Um, they want to move from focusing on short-term revenues to managing the lifetime value of fans, but of course not not undermining the relationship that fans have with um, their favourite club, uh, team, or player, which is very emotionally charged. So I think now we, uh, what I saw was was a, a, a really um, a step change in, in the business of sport. This this idea that that many many sports organisations, leagues, clubs, etc., are going. Direct, direct to fan and building their, 
business and as a, as, as a result needs different skills, different um, experiences, capabilities, and, and as such, different leaders who have experience in managing these types of, of businesses and business models. Yeah, one thing that you highlighted, and you just mentioned it in the answer, which is something that I've been talking about for years, and it doesn't seem to necessarily be getting the traction that I want to consistently, is the idea of customer lifetime value. Um, and I'm kind of curious about your opinion on this, about, you know, define it for people so that they can understand it, so they don't hear it from me, but then also help my audience understand why it's important to put your relationship with your customer in that context of a lifetime value as opposed to just transactional, which unfortunately, if you look at the American sports business model right now, so many of the relationships are are really have become just transaction based. Mm. Yeah, I mean, customer lifetime value is not something that I was particularly familiar with or, or let's say actively addressing in my previous life working for a sports property holder. Um, and in this case, uh, the, the Football World Cup uh, was our main property. And, and uh, now, over the last few years, I've been working for um, Mykuju. We are the biggest um, football soccer live streaming platform for long tail foot for long tail um, and football soccer and uh, I mean, as a platform um, which is trying to build communities around um, long tail sport uh, and trying to attract clubs and and teams to stream their their matches we're really really dependent upon um, managing a, a relationship with fans. And, and facilitating our uh, our relationship with fans for our clubs and teams that are streaming on the platform. So it's really fundamental for us that we we move or that we as a business build our our um, platform based on uh, a relationship, a longer term view of of the fan, um, the value that a fan gets from from consuming the streams of their of their matches and going beyond that, actually being part of a community around those those clubs and teams that are on the platform, rather than just looking at them as a a short term, um, yeah, as you said, transactional uh, source of, of of revenue, buying one match on a pay per view basis, or being the source of, of programmatic advertising revenue that, that the the source of the eyeballs that drives programmatic advertising revenue. It's really a concept that goes back to to managing. Managing the fan life cycle, if you like, from um, from being uh, an early stage uh, fan to generating a more engaged uh, relationship with a with a, a club or, or even a player um, towards uh, um, looking at that really as a as a as a lifetime relationship rather than a one off transactional yeah. um, relationship. And you brought up this the concept of the long tail, and I don't know. I'm familiar with it, you know, and it goes back for people who don't understand, who've never heard the term or maybe heard the term in passing. It goes back to like, I believe the mid nineties when Chris Anderson wrote an article for Wired magazine, uh, talking about how everything used to be predicated on mass. And then over time, as technology has changed and allowed people's, um, attention to be more uh, segmented, it's it's easier for people to make money off of 
you know, going to a smaller audience with more, with more ideas and more, um, content, I guess is the best way to, to describe it. Um, but so that I can understand it and the audience can understand it through your lens, you know, how would you define the long tail for, uh, properties and organizations you're working with? Yeah, that's a really good question, Dave. It's, it's, um, sometimes difficult. It can, can be an, abs- an abstract term, uh, long tail. Um, for, for us, I think the easiest way to, to view, um, long tail in our context, long tail soccer, long tail football, it's, it's, uh, the, the clubs and teams that, that we deal with are, um, really those that, that are not considered attractive enough from mainstream broadcasters. Um, so we effectively empower those clubs and, and teams as an organization to, to, um, connect with their, with their audiences, with their fan bases by making streaming, uh, or reducing the barriers to stream and making streaming very easy, accessible, um, free. And, uh, and then from there, giving them the tools to, to engage, engage those fans. So yeah, long tail, long, long tail can be a, an, an abstract term. Fortunately, when you go back to the concept of, of lifetime value, the, the, the engagement level around long tail, um, soccer in our case, but sport in general, one, one could argue is far higher. You have, uh, kids who inherit, uh, I mean, as they do in the top, the top level of sport, but kids who inherit a, a preference for a certain local club in this case. Um, and maybe they become a player at one point in their life or, they, they stand, um, in the, uh, amongst a, a crowd of, of, uh, tens or, or, or maybe hundreds of others, uh, really committed supporters, part of a smaller community of highly engaged fans and maybe even a volunteer at the club. Um, this, this is really, this is, this is a very intriguing model of lifetime, a lifetime relationship with a club, uh, where it can be far deeper than, than one would observe from a, um, a fan of a professional club. So the, the, actually the concept of lifetime value in the context of, of long-term sport becomes much more multifaceted and uh, really interesting, maybe more complicated to understand, but uh, fascinating for, for us as an organization here at, uh, at MyCuju where, where we're uh, trying to build um, a platform where, which was, which has never been built before and trying to expose these, these smaller clubs and leagues and, and give a, a platform for these fans who have a deep, passionate uh, love for these clubs, and give them a give them a place they can call home. Yeah, I think that's um, maybe one of the most important parts about this this tube is the fact that they're, or maybe it's missed too often, is that your sports team in a lot of ways is like going home. It's you know I um I grew up in northern Georgia. We were talking about where am I originally from before we started recording. Um, and so to an extent, I'm always going to be just slightly attached to those sort of markers that were there when I was growing up in northern Georgia. So the University of Georgia, even though I went to the University of Alabama, uh, Clemson was less than an hour from my house as well. You know, so that, like those schools, those are big. But the, all these things, that you know, they, they, there's a sense of place and community that I think yeah. giving people an opportunity to experience um, you know, maybe you had a minor league team, right? Like I had the Fort Lauderdale Yankees when I was in high school. Uh, being yep. able to stream those games is great because it, you know, those emotional ties, they're always there. And I know that one of the big things 
for you, especially this kind of drives the platform that you work on and the work that you're doing is this idea of community. And um, so I want to ask you about the need to recognize and put in the proper place um, community around the team and the engagement of the team and how important that is as far as a driver of marketing success in lifetime relationships. Because you, you brought up the relationship aspect too, which I also don't know that people talk about nearly enough. Yeah, yeah. The, the vision of, of the founders of our company um, was was very very clear, and they they based their their idea for the company on on the principle that that teams and, and clubs playing in the, in the long tail of football had these these passionate communities. These exi- these communities existed. They weren't. It's not something that we were necessarily trying trying to create. And the communities include all sorts of personas. They include not only fans, but players, coaches, and others. Um, who contribute to these these local um, local clubs, um, and, and unfortunately, many had uh, no yeah no home no no certainly no digital home. Um, if you were not at the venue on on a on a match day, it was un, un, well, impom- virtually impossible for you to to um, consume or to watch uh, the, the the match. So this is really the, the, the ba- community is really the basis upon which the work I'm doing at, at MyCuju is, is based. The work we're all doing is, is based and it's a, a great reference point for, 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 for this discussion around um, the importance of, of community. We, we see um, the sense of community as a, as a key motivation for fans to come to our platform. And, and I'm sure this is really common across um, uh, all, all platforms and, and other organizations that are supporting not only sports clubs, but other other uh, focal points for communities. We, for example, we, we broadcast in uh, in January the the under twenty Copenia competition, which is regarded as one of the biggest or the biggest youth competition in the world. It's it's uh, located in in Brazil, run by the the Paulista Federation in Sao Paulo, um, featuring all most or if not all of the top top clubs in, in Brazil. We saw tens of thousands of fans on our platform exchanging hundreds of thousands of messages in our chat boards um, during the live matches that we've been broadcasting over the last few weeks in, in January. It's really amazing to see uh, fans who are geographically dispersed across a country so big as Brazil uh, engaging each other in, in, in chat. It's one, one very obvious example of, of how um, a platform like ours can can help these clubs and can can help these communities to find um, a, a focal point or a platform to to exchange with each other, even though they may not be at the match, uh, which was one of the biggest uh, or is one of the biggest challenges that we saw um, facing some of the the smaller clubs and leagues that, that had no uh, other window to the world, if you like. Yeah, and you know we we kind of touched on all around these things. And I think one of the ideas that's really interesting to me, which you, 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 again, laid out in your blog post, but it's the idea that you need to, we need new ideas, right? Number one, and then we need new leadership. And I guess the way that you termed it was, um, people need, and I actually, I'll, I'll walk that back. I'll say this. It's just sort of, um, 
sometimes the leadership doesn't have the right skill set to make the, the right decisions. Um, as far as like building community or adapting technology or pushing some of these new ideas forward. And so from your vantage point of working with clubs and all over the place, you know, what are some of the either new ideas or the new skills or, um, new ways of thinking that, that you'd like to see people embrace to help push the games forward, to help kind of capitalize on this sense of community and the opportunity yeah. that streaming and technology has given us to connect with people all over the world? Yeah, that's a good, a good question. I think, um, well, first, first of all, what I, I mean, I'd seen some evidence and, and some research out there which kind of pointed to uh, a number of factors that were, that, that were, uh, possibly inhibiting uh, leadership within the sports business from making decisions, particularly around the implementation of technology. Not to say that the implementation of technology is key in any way for the development of communities or for the development of, of, of sport or the sports business in general, but obviously given the context of, of uh, most industries and, and the, the world in general at the moment, technology is a is, is, uh, is a, a key aspect of, of daily life and, and the digital driven media consumption that um, we are all part of is, is very important for leaders to understand. Um, so I mean, there's research from Scrum Ventures, which I uh, quoted in, in the, the article, um, which suggested that among sports business decision makers, about a third of them believed that uh, a lack of um, a lack of qualified decision makers amongst leadership in the sports business was 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 the main factor inhibiting them from uh, adopting new new tech driven solutions. Um, so this for me is one of the the key uh, aspects that I think generally across the sports business needs needs to be addressed. I kind of believe that uh, the, the the leaders that will be needed to drive this direct-to-consumer, the general direct-to-consumer um, uh, step change that we're seeing in the business will, will come f partly from, well, I, guess, I guess they should come from a range, a complementary range of industries, but in, in that mix of, of leaders, that there has to be people who understand the, the need to um, work closely with technology and product teams uh, together with those in a, in a more business or uh, Sports department perspective for driving the the, the results across the, the organisation. Um, they need to understand how to use data to harness data to experiment and, and learn. Um, I think a lot of the the last five ten years we, we see so much data we're drowning in data now. They, they need to be able to cut through and, and identify the data that that, that, that matters. Um, they need to understand. Uh, the, the, the value in iterating in smaller steps and testing and learning and it also goes back to, to the, to the data question. Um, how, what, what data to use and how to, how best to, to, um, iterate in, in smaller steps and what to, what to experiment around and what, what to prioritize. These are, these are things that I think we're missing generally across the sports business. We have a lot of, um, very, very talented, People in leadership positions. Um, however, I think the blend of skills and capabilities is really what what I was uh, what I was challenging. Yeah, and you bring up in the this interesting idea, which is that tech is not essential to community. 
And one of the things that I ask people about pretty regularly here is the place of data in that decision-making and community-building process. And I guess I'll ask it. I'm going to try to ask it the way I normally do, but I may not get it exactly right this time. But do you think that always leading with the digital solution first or always thinking digital first leads us to make decisions that aren't necessarily always in the best interest of that community building process? Well, that, that, that sounds like a leading question, Dave. <laughs> it's tough for me to ask that question without leading the idea that I go, you have to have your strategy right before you do the tactics. Um, and I, so I guess I did lead you. <laughs> so I guess, do you agree with me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do I have a choice? Um, yeah, no, do you, you, do you, you don't have a choice. Do you agree with me? <laughs> I, th- I think no. I, I absolutely, I do agree. I think I think uh, we're getting a little bit obsessed with data and in sport. Uh, the one of the challenges we have is this: the, the relationship between a a fan and a, and, and a club or, or even a player is very is very emotionally charged. I think we we have to be quite sensitive to the fact that we don't commoditize the relationship between fans and and clubs and, and or players that, that, that they follow. Um, it's a very different, uh, but I believe it's a very different relationship uh, that, that a fan has um, to, to a, a club or player in the sporting context than they, that they might have with a, a consumer packaged goods brand, um, for example, uh, which um, has maybe more freedom and flexibility to to drive decisions through through data. Uh, I think the the the, the mere um, mention of of community uh, drives towards that that fact. I think community is really a cornerstone of of uh, every club, every sports club. Uh, we have to be very careful. As in my role as a, as a marketer, I have to be very careful to uh, remind myself that. Um, it's not just numbers in a spreadsheet that that will uh, drive success, um, both commercially and otherwise. And we have to be very sensitive to that. Um, yeah, that that relationship. Well, I mean, I probably have another leading question then, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think probably you know I probably am able to ask these leading questions because I know where the answer is going anyway. But um, you know, not to pull to show my hand <laughs> or anything. Um, but I guess one of the interesting po- ideas about your answer was like, we don't want to commoditize the relationship, which is very important. And yet I think a lot of people struggle to move beyond just looking at the numbers on the screen, right? Like uh, a derisive term that gets thrown around is spreadsheet jockeys. I may have even used that at some point myself. Um, mm-hmm. But how do you help people understand or move past the numbers back to being able to see the people that are on the other end of the relationship. Because like you pointed out, which is absolutely true, it's played out in the data. Uh, you don't have to even dig very deeply for it. People have a stronger emotional connection to their sports teams than they do to any other brands. It's just, that's just a fact. And then if there is a um, second tentacle like American colleges, then it's even a deeper relationship. You know, so how do you take people and go, Hey, look, it's great. Look at the numbers, but remember, we have to turn those numbers back around and remember that there are people on the other end. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, what funny, data storytelling is kind of becoming a thing <laughs> at the moment. I see a lot of roles uh, 
for data storytellers. Uh, I think uh, maybe two or three years ago, this didn't exist. Uh, I think that says quite a lot for um, for where we are. There's a there's a certain um, appetite for more context around data. I think we start to realise that numbers are not enough. We need to also harness the emotions around um, the numbers and sim- not simply look at, at spreadsheets. Um, I, I was I was told that that, that, that Rudyard Kipling, the author, once wrote that if history were taught in the form of stories, it would never be forgotten. And I think the same applies to data in that case. Um, if we can bring out, explain and rationalise, or yeah, maybe rationalise is the wrong term, but if we can contextualise the numbers with uh, the um, the emotions and the real people behind them, it, it helps. I think it, it can only help us to, to make better decisions. And in this case, the going back to the, the relationship between yeah. the fans and their club. Oh, yeah, the, the, the idea, too, the Kipling idea that if history was told with stories, we'd never forget it. And then your your point about the numbers needing to be put in the context of a story is absolutely true. Um, I did a talk for a while. I haven't done it lately, but, but I talked about specifically that, which it's one of the most true things that we can all should know and keep in mind is that as Animals. We are storytelling creatures because we have been telling stories before language even existed. And it was the way that we were able to um, survive and evolve. So by not using stories as a piece of our marketing arsenal or using them effectively, we're fighting against, you know, millions of years of evolution. Stories are, are just how we convey our most important messages, right? And emotions. Yeah. And, you know, it's, Again, to go back to the data or in our emotionally charged relationship with the fans, it's just who we are as creatures, right? I mean, you you just have to recognize it begins with, you know, it goes back to my leading question. You start with what you're trying to achieve. What's the goal, right? I want to grow my fan base. I want to generate more revenue. I want to reach a larger audience. Well, what story do you need to tell these people to get them to become a part of your community, of your tribe, of your group? Yeah, and and if, you, if you don't start there, then I, you're always going to struggle, I think. But you yeah. you may have a slightly different uh, viewpoint on that. I, I maybe tend to end up being sort of absolute on certain things. And the mm. importance of storytelling, I think, is one of those things. Yeah, and I think it's a really underrated skill. We've got we've got some excellent storytellers here, here at MyQZU, and I'm not one of them. Uh, I, I'm really envious of, of those who have that skill. I've got to say it's really, uh, really, really valuable, um, really valuable skill for someone, someone to have very underrated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Any, I would tell anybody the fastest way to improve their career or their life is to take a storytelling class. Mm. It, and mm. you don't have to tell complex stories because a lot of people go, well, I could never do that. And I go, if you put your mind to it, everybody can improve their storytelling capability. Um, you know, even in the context of something like this podcast, studying story structures helps me become a better podcast host, a better um, yeah. leader of panels, right? A better writer, a better communicator. Everybody should be focusing on that. And it's, yeah. uh, it should be just like something that we learn in school. Um, and so yeah. that's encouraged that for us to yeah, develop over our lifetime. It's just, it's yeah. incredibly valuable. And I think in, yeah. this is me speaking, not you. I won't put this, I won't put this burden <laughs> on you, but I think that 
not using stories powerfully, which um, seems to be a challenge for sports business in a lot of contexts now, is one of the missed opportunities that's going on. I, I look at Major League Baseball and I and I and it just hurts me sometimes because their stories and the stories around so many of these franchises is some of the most powerful things yeah. that they have, and to not use them, yeah. it's just brutal. And, you know, yeah, I've been yeah. a Tottenham Hotspur fan for, I think, three years now. Um, right. But the stories around the team help draw me in, right? I yeah. I, that, you know, I only can connect to the team through three years, but now I can connect to a history through the stories. And it is, there's just so – it's just it's such an incredibly powerful tool. And because yeah. stories drive emotions and emotions drive actions, sports yeah. really needs to do a better job of it. Because it's like yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's teed up, right? Like to use a golf analogy, it's right there for us. Yeah, I fully agree. Yeah, we we we've managed to unearth some some great stories, as you can imagine, um, connecting with clubs around the world from the smallest to the largest countries and the and the furthest corners of the earth. Uh, we've we've unearthed some amazing stories of of uh, passion for the for the sport of of of, uh, of soccer. It's um, uh, really um, awe-inspiring some of the stories that we've we've unearthed, and it's I think that that's the scale that's trying to kind of bring them to a form that that brings emotion and, and passion and uh, and moves people. Um, I think there was, there was one great example that I recall of Sunderland, another English club, football club, um, uh, had a docu- made a documentary with Netflix. Uh, which was 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 a fascinating insight into into a club, a football club. Um, but also one of the, the, the abiding memories for me was was the uh, the real passion the fans had for the club. And again, going back to the sense of community, uh, there was one scene, and I hope I don't offend any listeners, but there was one scene in the in the the documentary where the the uh, the minister is in, is standing up in front of the, the congregation of the church and he says, let us pray for Sunderland and for our city. Lord, Lord our God, help us understand what football means for our community. Help us through our anger and our fury when the team is not performing as best as it can. Uh, so it's kind of uh, trying to get any advantage for his club. Uh, it was really a, um, an amazing, amazing insight into the, the, the stories that, that are uh, going on in the background and particularly from a fan perspective. In that case, a uh, a man of the of the cloth who was trying to um, get an advantage from the highest power um, for his club, but uh, very very insightful, great story. Yeah, I um, first I don't think anybody who's listened has made it this far um, with me on the podcast is going to be offended by much. <laughs> if I had not done that by now, I don't know that we will ever do it. Uh, but it also, I think it's an actually a great example because it highlights just how important. These teams are, especially when you get outside of the huge, huge teams that are global brands, you know, like Sunderland or, you know, to use a a U.S. example, maybe somebody like the Pittsburgh Steelers or the Pirates who are still huge brands, right? Like I know who who Sunderland was um, before I even saw the TV show. But, you know, they have a little bit more of a regional or a local appeal. They are centers of the of the the city, right? And it goes back to that community thing, which is like just so essential to, I think, the success of a lot of sports properties and sports organizations, that you don't have to be the biggest in the world to be successful and, you know, build a great fan base, make a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. 
So let me ask you something entirely different now that we're, we're we, we've kind of beat down on ideas and leadership. We're still early in the 2020. And what are some of the new ideas or new opportunities you're looking at for the, for the coming year? You know, either there's things that you're maybe excited to work on or focus on or things that you just want to see how they play out just in the industry period. Yeah. Um, well, there's actually a couple of things that are somewhat connected to the broader theme of, of new leaders in, in the sports business. Um, what, what, one really for me is that, that one, one trend, one uh, topic I'm observing is really this need to remove barriers that that uh, are impeding our understanding of what fans want. Um, and this idea of going direct to fan um, for sports clubs, federations, uh, it's really, really will not work unless they start to remove those barriers. For example, um, they need to get closer and more direct access to the insights that fans are providing to, to them and the, if there's uh, always there, there will be needs for agencies and others to help to drive um, uh, initiatives and, and deliver on things that clubs want to do. But in these cases, I think uh, just making sure that they're on the front line and not maybe hiding behind others who are potentially speaking to the fans on the front line, that, that those inside the club need to have as close a contact to the fans um, to understand their motivations and, and needs. Um, similarly, you know, the, the, the example of, of selling rights to a broadcaster, getting a minimum guarantee, walking away, you'll never understand the habits of your audience if, if that continues to be your model. And, of course, uh, there's still lots of value in working with mainstream broadcasters. That I certainly don't challenge, challenge that. But in those cases, sports organisations need to work harder to understand how fans are consuming um, their content or interacting with their their uh, federation league or club um, across multiple touch points um, and not uh, not not hide behind or not sort of um, yeah uh, put up with those barriers which exist um, to, to, to to having a more intimate relationship with those fans. Well, let me ask you about this removing barriers thing too, because I'm curious about this because one of the things then that I again I preach this. Um, I also know that it is not unusual for any industry to struggle with this is talking to their customers. It's like they're afraid to know what somebody's going to really say about them or they only talk to them in a kind of superficial way or with a lot of the sports teams, right? Because they've taken a minimum guarantee from a broadcaster or they've taken money from mainstream broadcasters. Um, every relationship and every communication really becomes almost transactional again. You know, mm -hmm. how, why do you think there's this reluctance or, or maybe I'm even wrong about this, uh, but of seeing a reluctance, you know, why do you think there's this disconnect between the organizations talking to and understanding their fans? Um, and you know, how would you suggest that people kind of overcome that, you know, and get back into the habit of talking to engaging and really knowing who their fans and their customers are? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's um, it's it's fairly fairly simple to change the well, not fairly simple. I think the idea is simple to change. It's a change of mindset um, that's required, and I think behind that, obviously, organisations need um, support to 
to uh, then drive that change. The, the mindset change that's needed is to really um, accept responsibility for the the management of the relationship with fans and, and not um, outsource that that relationship. I think that it's, maybe that's the most uh, simple terms I can I can communicate it. But obviously behind that there's lots of um, work, maybe more complex. Um, systems and to, to, to support the uh, execution of that kind of uh, strategy, direct-to-fan strategy. But in the end, it, it really is accepting the, the responsibility that, that no one else can manage the relationship with your your fans and your fan community other than other than you. And uh, we as a platform, that's exactly our philosophy, is to, to listen to clubs and teams um, in the sport of soccer and actually understand what... Uh, what they need to help them manage, what they need from our platform to help them manage um, the relationship with their fans. And that's what we are putting a lot of our focus on to ensure that um, clubs and teams at the longer tail of, of the sport can can effectively um, manage, build and manage their, their fan communities through the platform without us having to you know, step in or... or um, having to intervene or support, they, they have the tools they need. They can communicate um, via an app notifications, email. Um, they can share on social channels their their content and bring it bring people into the live matches that they're broadcasting with us. Um, they can facilitate chats, chat conversations. They can moderate chat rooms. Um, these kind of things we are we are uh, continuously developing so that. Uh, we put the power in the hands of, of clubs and teams um, to, to really manage and understand their fans. Registering fans is obviously important to enrich the data that we can provide to them um, around their fan bases in, in, in this case as well. Um, so I, I think I think mindset for me is really, really uh, important. And, and until the, the organisation accepts, accepts that responsibility, it's quite difficult to do anything else. Yeah, I, I probably couldn't agree more strongly with that because I think that one of the missing pieces or one of the most important things that people can do is they can understand that the most important relationship they have is with their customer. That your job as a business, because at the end of the day, this is what you have as a business. It may be an emotionally charged business, but it's still a business. And your number one job is to create and keep customers. And you don't do that by outsourcing yeah. your relationships to a hundred different people, platforms, and partners. So I could yeah. not agree more strongly with what you said on that. Yeah, yeah it's a real, real problem for yeah. some. Um, I think one other thing I'm looking at, Dave, is, is uh, this, this is maybe more closer to home. I think we've, and, and, and more on the, the front-end commercial side, um, I mean, we, we see uh, from our perspective here at MyCuser that a lot of the brands we're talking to um, are hungry for content. They're hungry for data. They're hungry to to play a role in facilitating these fan relationships with with uh, sports organisations. And I'd actually, I, I saw a, a recent tweet from uh, Ricardo Fort of Coca Cola, who's one of the I would say one of the kind of leading lights in the sports marketing business, and what someone I follow closely. He said, if I was selling sponsorships, I, I, I would charge for content and experiences and give visibility for free. So he, he's also kind of, in this in this uh, tweet, he was sort of challenging the old model of selling uh, media exposure to brands 
Um, he, he also went on to say, unfortunately, most rights holders do the exact opposite. So they, they, they're very, very much stuck in the old model. So that's something that we as a platform are addressing also this year. And I'm really interested to see how many follow um, follow us in, in terms of putting content at the forefront of what we offer brands to really enable them and empower them to activate across the multitude of touch points they have with their fan, with, with their uh, potential customers and how they can add value to the experience of fans by taking content, um, giving content on a broader platform, um, and ensuring that through the the uh, resources they have that fans can uh, can enjoy sport um, and in their case football um, better, offering incentives, rewards, playing their part in making sport a more enjoyable experience. Uh, this is where we see um, we see the future, and, and I'm really keen to see if if many other sports federations and also platforms are going to follow. Uh, follow that uh, that call um, that, that uh, I see from people like Ricardo Fort, but also one that we've already embraced and are, are hearing day to day from from brands that we speak to. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't think you even need data because I know we beat up on data a little <laughs> bit here. You don't even need data to recognize the idea that putting your relationship and putting your you know your promotion or your advertisement uh, in a more um, holistic context or in a more meaningful context is more valuable. Um, I think people still get stuck on impressions being the easy mm. as a driver of sponsorship and partnership sales because it's easy to measure. But the thing is, is that it's not, is it the most valuable thing to measure? And I would say that probably the answer is no in a lot of cases because we become very good at blocking out a lot of the noise and clutter in our lives. If not, we would go crazy. And I think, so I think I'll be curious to see what, you know, new ideas, new information and new data points come out of your push to put, to kind of flip that model on its head and say context and meaning matters over just sheer numbers. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that, that's exactly, I think that's exactly what, what sponsor brands are looking for as well. They want, they want to be part of the story to go back to the storytelling aspect. They're the masters. Most brands are masters at, at uh, storytelling, um, supported by some of the, the, the most brilliant creative minds around the world. Um, Coca-Cola, no better example than, than Coke in this case. And certainly in a sports context, they're very active. Um, and that's what, that's really what they're, they're looking for. They want to tell stories, um, around their brands, but also to enhance the experience, uh, that, that fans, um, can have around their favorite, favorite, uh, clubs, players, leagues, etc. Um, and, and to do that, you need content. And, and that's really, uh, going to be one of the key, um, key topics, I think, for, for, for this year and the years to come. Uh, how many sports properties are actually able to, to furnish brands with with content, um, in this in many cases content is is ring fenced by broadcasters. So, so uh, many of the top clubs, leagues, federations, even they they, they have no content to to um, to give to to brands to, to to facilitate that storytelling experience and actually to help you know to to work with the brands to help promote their sport or their their, their league or federation. So it's a uh, it's um, a big, a big topic. I think more commercially um, focused, but uh, I think it's certainly another big topic that I'll be uh, watching. That we here at Mike Kuzu will be watching with uh, 
with interest over the coming months. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think that if you focus on the customer and you focus on telling the customer or that relationship with your customer and you focus on telling them better stories and giving them a better experience, typically, in my experience, you know, coming from both the property side, the consultant side, the brand side, kind of having touched on this in all aspects is typically the money follows, the attention follows, mm-hmm. the audience follows. But you can't, you have to start with the putting the customer at the center of everything. And I think that that is like probably um, one of the most important lessons that you or me or anybody that people are going to listen to can remember is that always put the customer at the center of everything you're doing. Or in this case, with sports, the fan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, uh, you guys in North America are, and the US particularly are masters at this, so certainly far ahead of where we are in Europe, but uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Now, David, where do people find you on the internet? Um, yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, David G. Fowler, uh, LinkedIn, um, David G. Fowler, and uh, those are the probably the primary two uh, um, places to, to, to check, uh, check me out on, on, on the the internet. I obviously have the blog on WordPress, um, which is also under the the name David G. Fowler. I think it's davidgfowler.wordpress.com. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it. No, that's good. It's also <laughs> consistent. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. David G. <laughs> as soon as you start thinking your uh, people are tired of your ad, your uh, your campaign, that's just when they're first starting to notice. So you don't want to, don't stop. <laughs> Everything's David G. Fowler. Uh, David, thanks so much for doing the podcast, man. Loved it, Dave. Thanks again. Let me know what you thought about my conversation with David. Send me an email. It's my name, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. You can find out what I'm up to by visiting my website at www.davewakeman.com. You'll find my blog. You'll find all kinds of great stuff there. Tons of resources, media appearances, all kinds of great stuff. Go check it out. Um, as always, I'd love it if you connect with me on the social media. Follow me on Twitter. It's at David Wakeman. As I've said now for almost 99 episodes, maybe 99 episodes. I don't know. If you know the person who has the at Dave Wakeman Twitter handle, I'd love it. Get it for me. The guy hadn't tweeted since 2010. That's a decade. I need that Twitter handle. Um, also, I'd love it if you connect with me on LinkedIn. You can check me out by just searching my name, Dave Wakeman, and find me there. As always, uh, another thing, as always, I have a verbal tick. Who knew? After 99 episodes, you learn these things. If you like what I'm doing with the podcast, if some of these conversations have been valuable for you, if you've learned something, I'd love it if you share it with a colleague or a friend, someone you think might gain um, some new knowledge, some new information, some new insights by listening to these conversations. I'd love it. Also, if you have been listening, sharing the podcast, doing all that stuff, I'd love it if you become a subscriber. We're on all the major podcast platforms now. It's amazing. And finally, if you've shared and you subscribed, why don't you leave me a rating or a review? These things all add up. They help make sure people discover the podcast. Um, it offers encouragement to me to help or to continue to do it 
I think I enjoy doing it, and I've had tremendous um, great results and met so many new people because of it. But it still encourages me. But also, it encourages me to the guests to come on and share their insights and their ideas with you. So uh, make sure you rate and review the podcast. I'd like to remind you to sign up for my Talking Tickets newsletter. It's a weekly email. comes out on Friday morning, my time overnight um so friday evening some places friday morning others i think it hits everybody's inbox at some point on friday and you can get that by going to my website it's davewakeman.com and look for the talking tickets um link at the very top of the page i want to thank booking protect for being the partners with me on the business of fun podcast as i mentioned at the start we have released a brand new newsletter this week not newsletter an ebook called What Matters in Ticketing Now. You can get it by visiting their website at www.bookingprotect.com forward slash blog forward slash. It's 40-something ideas from around the world about how to improve your ticketing, the ticket sales, marketing of events, customer service, all kinds of topics. It's great. Uh, the feedback so far has been tremendous. Also, if you haven't already, I would strongly encourage you to check out what they're doing. Uh, Booking Protect offers you the best customer service in the world for refund protection. Hands down. If you don't believe me, you should have seen Simon uh, on the panel at Intix where he he was bringing his philosophy and his ideas on customer service um, uh, to the entire audience at Intix. We talked about the foundational ideas behind customer service. It's just great. Uh, Booking Protect lives those ideals every day. On top of customer service, though, an important aspect of the buying journey is customization, and partnering with Booking Protect allows you to offer more customization to your customers. And a final little kicker is that you also can create a brand new stream of revenue for your organization, which with budgets, tighter than ever revenue at a premium it's so super important so to find out how you can become booking protects partner visit them at www.bookingprotect.com again that's www.bookingprotect.com and make sure while you're there you check out the what matters in tickets now ebook it's fantastic as always i'm going to thank you for being here the next episode is episode 100 I'm pretty excited what we're going to do going forward from episode 100. Um, But until I put that out into the world, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for your attention and listening. Um, I couldn't do it without you. I'll talk to you soon. Take care.